On February 10, 2011, Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak stepped before the TV camera for the third time since the January 25 revolution began. Massive crowds in Tahrir Square quieted. President Barack Obama and his closest advisors turned up the television volume on Al Jazeera English. After weeks of escalating protests, tense clashes in the streets, turmoil in the ruling elite, and fierce international pressure, virtually everyone expected Mubarak to announce his resignation. Instead, casting himself as a father to his sons and daughters, he delivered a meandering, condescending address. He assured, paternalistically, that as a president, I find no shame in listening to my country's youth but showed no sign of having actually done so. He laid out a timeline for a transition of power over seven months, which made clear that he had no intention of immediately stepping down. The hundreds of thousands of Egyptians gathered in central Cairo roared with rage. Seconds after the speech ended, I received an email from one of President Obama's top advisors on his way to a meeting in the Situation Room. What do you make of that? This audiobook is in part my attempt to answer his question, and my own, about the dramatic changes that have unsettled so many assumptions and certainties in the Middle East. It is commonly said that nobody predicted the upheavals in the Arab world that began in December 2010 and defined the following year. But that does not mean that nobody saw them coming. The crumbling foundations of the Arab order were visible to all who cared to look. Political systems that had opened slightly in the mid-2000s were once again closing down, victim to regime manipulation and repression. Economies failed to produce jobs for an exploding population of young people. As the gap between rich and poor grew, so did corruption and escalating resentment of an out-of-touch and arrogant ruling class. Meanwhile, Islamist movements continued to transform public culture, even as Arab regimes used the threat of al-Qaeda to justify harsh security crackdowns. Regional politics was equally stalled. The Israeli-Palestinian peace process, which remained central to Arab political identity and discourse, had long since gone on life support. Arab states seemed indifferent to its collapse, though, and even cooperated openly with Israel on the enforcement of the blockade of Gaza. In the spring of 2010, the Arabs were unable to even organize a single Arab summit meeting to discuss the problems of Palestine and Lebanon due to the bickering of the competing regimes, as Egyptian and Saudi leaders declined to travel to Doha in support of Qatari initiatives. A debilitating Cold War between America's autocratic allies and the forces of Mukawama resistance, such as Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah, dominated the official agenda of regional international relations, spreading in its wake a nasty Sunni-Shia sectarianism that divided many Arab societies. To many Arabs, the behavior of their leaders contributed to the perennial failures of the Arab order. 
the need for change had grown urgent and painfully obvious to frustrated youth who had long since given up any hope that their leaders might themselves change. All of these frustrations festered at a time of radical revolutionary change in the information environment. Perhaps the Arab regimes had always been bickering, incompetent, corrupt. But now, thanks to satellite television stations like Al Jazeera and the spreading presence of the Internet, their follies were on full display to a skeptical Arab public. Arab leaders could no longer go about their business in private while crushing any sign of discontent. Their people now had access to information and an ability to express their opinions publicly far beyond anything the region had ever before known.